New York has many islands, one of which has been home to a notorious correctional facility for over 85 years. This is Rikers Island, for better or worse, a symbol of the American criminal justice system, known for its harsh conditions and high-profile inmates. Despite its reputation, many people have no idea what really goes on inside its walls, and even fewer are privy to the island's mysterious history. Surrounded by controversies, staffed by over 9,000 officers, and home to over 10,000 inmates, this island is camouflaged by the water surrounding it, but today we will discover its haunting past. I'm your host Ryan Sokash, and you're watching It's History. These images are very dystopian. Unnecessary evil perhaps, but alarming all the same. An island of 412 acres in the Bronx's East River, filled with the brutalist buildings that constitute New York City's largest jail. The island didn't always look this way. In fact, when Dutchman Abraham Ricken first acquired it in 1664, it was under 100 acres in size, which was only a fourth of what it would ultimately become. As the years passed, and with the help of donations from John Jacob Astor, the private island was used as a training facility for the Civil War, proving helpful and hence was later sold to the city in 1884 for $180,000. Now you might recall the Astor family from our previous video on the Empire State Building, but if you missed it, here's a quick refresher. In addition to many other assets, they owned the famous Waldorf Astoria Hotel, which would be demolished to make way for the iconic Empire State Building. Anyhow, once New York took over the land, the Commission of Charities and Corrections immediately expressed interest in operating a so-called workhouse there. However, this presented a bureaucratic challenge, as technically the jurisdiction of the island belonged to Long Island City of Queens County, which was not yet a part of New York City, so a resale was required. So in 1884, State Senator Frederick S. Gibbs introduced a bill authorizing the action. Now, although there was strong political contention between the territories, then-Governor Cleveland signed off by May of that year, and a new era began. The groundwork had been set, but it would be several decades before the bureaucrats could follow through on their plan. This was a down period for the island, only leaving behind some random, if not bizarre, news articles along the way. For example, in 1895, fishermen discovered the body of a well-dressed man floating along the shoreline. They towed him to 135th Street and Harlem River to make a report to the police. Around that same time, the land was also used as a farm. Then in the year 1900, the New York Daily Tribune reported that a commissioner had claimed to have discovered gold on the island, believing it to be a haven of precious metals. However, upon formal inspection, the man was laughed out of the office as he had mistaken iron for gold. Then finally, by 1925, the city began taking more serious steps to open their notorious jail. This was a desperately needed measure, as their current facility on Welfare Island, now called Roosevelt Island, was overburdened and dilapidated. And so it was. In 1932, the jail opened, with the first iteration being modest compared to what was to come. The original penitentiary building was called HDM, or the House of Detention for Men. In recent years, it was renamed to James A. Thomas Center and was ultimately closed due to structural issues 
2000. As the city's population expanded, so did the criminal population, meaning that a larger territory was needed for expansion. So with the support of prison labor, landfill was used to enlarge the area. This effort was helped immensely by a court ruling from 1922 that banned New York City from dumping garbage into the ocean. Hence, the waste of the city was now redirected to Rikers Island. But this actually made a lot of sense, as before that ruling, the island already had 12 mountains of garbage, 40 to 130 feet tall. Yet after 1922, they took in an additional 1.5 million cubic yards of trash. Imagine what a place this must have been to serve time, isolated on an island filled with the literal garbage of New York City. Back then, New York City was largely powered by coal, feeding the systems that powered the skyscrapers of the area. They required tons of coal per day, and all that hot ash was also dumped on the island, resulting in scattered trash heap fires burning through all seasons of the year, even during blizzards. One warden described the situation ominously back in 1934, exclaiming, quote, At night, it's like a forest of Christmas trees. First, the little light, then another, until the whole hillside is lit up with little fires. It was beautiful. But garbage didn't only bring fire and smoke. No, it brought something even nastier. That's right, rats. And the situation was out of control. They infiltrated the sewage systems, getting into the kitchens, showers, and cells. Many measures were taken to fight the infestation. They used poisonous gas, poisonous bait, ferocious dogs, and pigs. But nothing could really contain the issue. This is when the esteemed Robert Moses stepped in. You see, Moses was on a mission to master build New York, a theme I trust you may recall from our New York history playlist. And with the 1939 World's Fair just around the corner, things had to be in order. The fair was to take place in nearby Queens, and he couldn't have literal mountains of garbage burning throughout the night with a rat-infested prison as his backdrop. So he organized a hunting party to kill them off, converted some of the trash into a landfill, and moved the rest of the waste to the Fresh Kills landfill on Staten Island. By 1943, Rikers Island had quadrupled in size, Although there was a bit of fluctuation to the exact measurements, since some of the fill was taken from Rikers to extend the North Branch Airport, which is now of course called LaGuardia. The sentiment was evident when it came to criminals. In a way, New York had its version of Australia, and some very unusual events were in store. Rikers Island is basically directly under the flight path of planes traveling to and from LaGuardia Airport. And curiously, its development was somewhat in parallel with the onset of commercial aviation, meaning it saw some nearby crashes, one of which came down on the compound's land. On February the 1st, 1957, Northeast Airlines Flight 823 crashed onto Rikers Island shortly after departing LaGuardia killing 20 and injuring 78 out of the 95 passengers and six crew. The pilot manning the flight went on to have something of a career in crashing as he survived three plane crashes in five years. Captain Marsh of Miami first crashed on January the 14th, 1952 in the East River, 300 yards from Rikers Island. The plane was only in nine feet of water, so the captain managed to smash the window and escape. Everyone survived with only six requiring time in the hospital. 
Then again, in 1953, his landing gear collapsed and the right wing of the airplane was torn off at LaGuardia. The subsequent crash in 1957 was actually the only one to see casualties. Astonishingly, when the crash occurred, inmates immediately ran to the wreckage, undoubtedly saving many lives. As a result of their selfless actions, 30 of the 57 inmates who assisted with the rescue effort were released immediately, with 16 receiving a sentence reduction by six months. This event stands out, but there were other exceptional circumstances in which prisoners left early. For example, during the AIDS crisis in the 1980s and 90s, the prison sometimes granted early release to terminal HIV-positive inmates so they could die peacefully in their homes, but more on that later. By the 1970s, conditions began degrading to unprecedented levels. Blocks designed for 240 inmates were now housing over 330. Corruption and neglect were the norm, and it became apparent to everyone that this arrangement was not sustainable. These issues were not new. From the onset of the jail complex, smuggling by the guards was commonplace. Old newspaper reports from the 1920s recall guards being prosecuted for those crimes and more. But in the 1970s, another eternal aspect of the island would show its face, riots. In 1975, the complex was overrun by 1,200 inmates taking five guards hostage. They demanded improved conditions at the overcrowded and isolated jail in the East River. And surprisingly, the authorities met these demands and the guards were released. Now, not to take the side of the criminals here, but they may have had a point. You see, Manhattan had closed significant portions of its notorious Tombs Jail, with Rikers Island taking on the spillover. The ramifications were endless here. Prisoners were routinely, illegally denied visitation, recreation, and so on. Or perhaps it's best put in the words of Judge Morris Lasker, who described it as, quote, the most serious and potentially explosive prison atmosphere to exist in New York City. Anyhow, the release of the guards and meeting the conditions of the hostage takers set a very dangerous precedent. Hence, 200 of the prison staff began shouting, strike, and left the job. A gesture that brought no actual ramifications, as nearly all those same guards returned to work in the following days. As for the prisoners and their complaints about overpopulation, that wouldn't improve either. In fact, conditions were about to get much worse. The 1980s would see the population triple from about 5,000 inmates to 15,000. And with that rise, saw a slew of illnesses such as AIDS, tuberculosis, syphilis, drug addiction, and so on. The medical readiness for so much disease was utterly ineffective with nearly 20% of the population testing positive for tuberculosis alone. I need to point out an essential factor here. Of the 15,000 inmates at any given time, 70% were awaiting trial or pretrial release, meaning that not only were they considered legally innocent, but that incarceration was typically brief. They would soon have access to the outside world, contact with a greater population. Hence the cesspool they were living in was beginning to affect people outside of the jail. You have to remember, jail is different from prison. 
Prisons and jails are both facilities where the government detains individuals as a form of punishment or a means of keeping them off the street for the safety of society. However, they're also distinguished. Jails are usually operated by local authorities. They're intended for short-term confinement of people awaiting trial or sentencing who have been convicted of minor offenses and have sentences of less than a year. On the other hand, prisons are typically run by state or federal government institutions and are designed to house people convicted of serious crimes with sentences of one year or more. Hence, jail populations will without a question have far more contact with the outside society. And this was dangerous to New York. According to the Daily News, one person with tuberculosis returning to a homeless shelter, for example, on average, infected up to 50 other people. As a result of the public outcry, solutions were sought to deal with the overcrowding. And in 1992, the now famous 800-bed barge was installed nearby on the East River to accommodate the extra inmates, perhaps in keeping with the maritime theme of the landscape in general. As it became known, the boat was initially used by New York City's Department of Juvenile Justice and received many alterations over the years. Although the inmates outright hated the solution, it was a cheap and immediate solution for the city. They expanded on this type of jailboat housing by reconstructing two British military transport barges from the Falkland Wars and two 1950s-era Staten Island ferry boats, accommodating another 162 inmates each. The ferries were eventually sold for salvage around 2003. However, the boat remains. Best efforts aside, the boat solved very little. In 1995, the overpopulation of the jail began menacing nearby communities who proclaimed their concern about the environmental impacts of the traffic moving to and from Rikers Island, not to mention all the traffic accessing the nearby airport. Robert Moses probably rolled in his grave. You see, the massive regional highway network cut right through the area to cap it all off. The then Queensboro president, Claire Schumann, proposed converting the area into a recreation space, arguing that the jail was unsustainable, proclaiming, quote, the way things are now, people going to Rikers Island don't have a place to go to the bathroom, a place to eat, or a place to get change for the bus. In modern times, it's been said that positive changes are on the horizon when it comes to quality of life for inmates, but without a doubt, Rikers Island remains New York City's most notorious jail, and it's interesting to see how it's transformed the land, physically speaking, throughout the years. So before wrapping up here today, let's have a look at what remains. Rikers Island is connected to the community via a bridge, and it's very close to the airport as well. According to Newsday, you could almost walk from Rikers to the airport during low tide. The bridge was opened on November the 22nd, 1966, at the price of $10 million. And before that time, it was only accessible via boat. The city of New York operated the ferry service and provided transportation for prisoners, staff, and visitors. But once the service concluded, the docks were effectively abandoned. The ferry port remains to modern day, though they are rusty and gradually falling apart. Running a prison center on an island presents some logistical challenges. So back in 1985, there was a proposal to ferry prisoners and visitors via boat directly from Manhattan but the idea proved to be too impractical. Anyhow, once on the complex, there are 10 different facilities with various purposes, from detention for adult males, housing sentenced adolescents, and segregated areas for teens. 
The Rose M. Singer Center houses adolescents and female adults, with the North Infirmary for general medical needs and the West facility accommodating inmates with contagious diseases. Some have called this the world's largest penal colony. And in light of its size, it also requires schools, clinics, chapels, sports fields, gyms, grocery stores, various shops, a power plant, and a bus depot. And according to UnitedStates.org, an institute on the island also specialized in housing homosexuals, bisexuals, and transgender inmates. However, that was until 2005, when it was closed for security purposes, which has been a very problematic issue in general. A report by NBC News described Rikers Island as, quote, hell, plain and simple, with former inmates alleging that prisoners, or technically the accused, ran the facility, and a former warden proclaiming that there was a shank under every pillow. Recently, some inmates have been released because the jail itself was too dangerous. The danger affects everyone inside, from the medical staff to the officers and the prisoners. Currently, the facility has experienced a staffing crisis, with nearly one-third of correctional officers not showing up to work at a given time, meaning intervention of violence is limited and searches don't happen. But with thousands of officer assaults happening yearly, who could really blame them? When I first stumbled upon images of this jail's rotting ferry port, I knew it was a place of troubling significance, but I couldn't have imagined that it played a role in so many people's lives at such a grand scale, from average New Yorkers to celebrities who got locked up there, like Tupac or Lil Wayne. But what I'm missing in this story are real life accounts. I imagine that some of you watching this video may have even been incarcerated at Rikers. And I'm really curious to hear your story. So if you or someone you know has been to the island, share your experience in the comments section below. And before you go, I want to present you with another exciting topic. This is Heart Island. It was New York's so-called lunatic asylum back in the day. If you'd like a video about its history, let me know by clicking that subscribe button and leaving a thumbs up. If we get 1,000 new subscribers, I'll make a video on that topic shortly. Otherwise, click join to watch these episodes commercial free. Until next time, this is Ryan Sokash signing off.